Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to Modernize the Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. It is September 8th, 2020, and hopefully everybody had a great holiday yesterday for those who were lucky enough to have it off. How about you, Eric? It was really nice. I had a nice little little family barbecue, so enjoyed the time off. Very cool. I did too. I had a lazy day. I don't usually get too many of those, so it was good to have one. Cool. Well... Let's start off by uh, thanking our sponsor, Auto Solutions. So thanks to Auto Solutions, we're able to do this podcast. Uh, they fund basically half this podcast with our help from our Patreon supporters. And if you want to say thank you back to them in a financial way, you can thank them on Patreon with Patreon support, or you can go to some of the trainings that we provide. So we have two Cold Box virtual workshops coming up in October, uh, and CFCast is releasing free and paid content every week. So a lot of ways you can help uh, give back to Autis. And hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. And so just another way to say thank you to them. As I mentioned, we have Patreon supporters as well. Uh, they're funding about 60% of our uh, of our podcast now. And so far, uh, we got a lot of great, a lot of great supporters. And we'll be mentioning them at the end of the show as well. If you want to find out more about supporting orders through Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash order solutions. Okay, Eric, let's get on with the news. What's first on our list today? Uh, first up is some releases that we had. Fusion Reactor 8.5 was released this last week with a bunch of improvements and bug fixes. Notice some things about uh, uh, Java 14 and some of the libraries that you might, uh, Java jars that you might see in there like Jettis, as well as some CF thread stuff. Yeah, and uh, one thing I really like about Fusion Reactor release notes is they're, they're very thorough, very detailed uh, you can see if there are improvements or bugs, and they have all the versions going back. So if you're looking at possibly upgrading from an older version, uh, definitely check out the release notes. they got a lot of details, and you can see what you're missing. Yeah. Hey, Gavin, just a note, the chat says that you're much quieter than I am. So if you can work on that while I go to the next one, that would be great. Yeah, sorry. I've got to step into the microphone a lot. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> no worries. Um, Charlie in the chat says one of the great things in 8.5 is Fusion Reactor will now track them in the UI uh, threads in the UI, like different requests. So you can actually step into a specific thread and see the performance there, which is an awesome new feature. Yeah, it's, I mean, loving Fusion Reactor. I had to do some troubleshooting with a client recently and really, really enjoying it. It saved my butt, I'll tell you that much. Awesome, next up, uh, release of the Lucy Spreadsheet Library. This is 2.11, uh, this is, a way to handle spreadsheets, Excel files inside of Lucy without having to install an extension. Um, and looks like they got some support for a little bit more control over the data types of the when adding rows and also some hex color support. So I know we use this library in a previous job. It is, it is fantastic. So if you're missing any of the Adobe functionality of the CF spreadsheet tag, this library will take care of you. Yeah, it's nice to have a library as well without having to go to an extension. A lot of people like to keep it simple, and this is definitely an easy way to do that when you're going from you know project to project without having too much control over the server. Right. 
Um, some news coming up. We have a webinar you're giving, Gavin. Tell us about that. Yep. So um, September 25th, I'm going to be doing a Modern Cold Fusion, No More Copy Paste. And so the whole idea of this one is basically, you know, looking at different ways to improve your code. Basically, dry code, don't repeat yourself. You know, a lot of people are sort of build build their code and they try to be smart about it but uh, we have a sort of series of best practices and you know some tools and to make your life easier there too so we're going to go through that look at some of the the ways you might do it and a lot of people are probably doing uh, a lot of these things already maybe using functions and cfcs or stuff like that but we try and go a little further and you know try and really help you clean up your code and make it life easier when you're maintaining one project or lots of projects because uh you know there's definitely ways to to improve that so we thought it'd be kind of interesting and then looking at some of our tools and Wilmington Forgebox as well and, you know, look at different things like using Git endpoints versus storage code inside of Forgebox. So we'll have some numbers and some stats. So it'll be worth coming checking it out. So That's awesome. Great. So that's uh, Friday, September 25th at yep. 11 a.m. Central Time. Yep. And you can register now. The The link is up on our webinars page so autosolutions.com slash events slash webinars and you can get links to all our old recordings there for the other webinars on cfcast as well that's right speaking of cfcasts yep we have a new one yeah we have a new series up if you've been following along there's been regular releases to our cold box master class but this week we have a new series done by grant about configuring your CFML servers with CFconfig. Yep, so this time you can learn about CFconfig and don't have to listen to Brad. <laughs> and I've watched these two videos and Grant does an excellent job. Uh, more videos will be published to it, but you can catch the first two on CFCast right now as a subscriber. Yep, and one of the good things too about having other people do your videos, a lot of times when you build something, you know how it works back to front and sideways, and you kind of assume everybody else knows the same. So having somebody else newer to it, they'll sometimes cover the things that you might run into when you're first starting with it too. So I like this, you know, and I know you like the same thing when other people present on Quick. Yeah, so, in QB, yep. Yeah, for sure. So that's really good to see, and thanks, Grant, for doing that. And, yeah, lots more content coming your way. Okay. So let's get on to conferences. All right. We have a couple workshops that we'd like to announce for October. We are bringing back the one-two punch of the Cold Box Zero to Hero and the Cold Box Hero to Superhero workshops. These yep. are both two-day workshops, and you can get the details of it on our events page. Yep, we're actually ahead of the schedule here. They're getting the events up on the events page, hopefully today or tomorrow. Uh, they are up on Eventbrite if you can find them there, but we'll be, be getting that information out to you really soon. Um, the same information uh, as previously, like Eric said, the two-day workshops, and they do build on top of each other. So if you have taken the Zero to Hero, the Hero to Superhero is the next step. Uh, if you haven't, um, you can get them both in October. Um, and they're going to be uh, two days. We usually do them Thursday, Friday. And we're going to fit them in October because obviously it's uh, it's going to be pretty action-packed there in uh, November, December. So we're trying to get some workshops in. I know Eric's trying to schedule another quick one, too, because he wants to get that out here. So, so yeah, yep. we hope to get you some dates on that soon. But, yes, the, the fabled quick workshop is incoming. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are asking for it. So we're, we're working on getting that out there. It's just scheduling around everything is tough these days. And yeah, I know the start of school has really hit hard. And so we're trying to give people time in September to get used to that. 
Um, as always, our loyal podcast listeners can get 10% off of the registration with the coupon code PODCAST10. So if you uh, go sign up for one of these workshops. Now, Gavin, are these uh, going to be on the same weekend or different weekends? Do we know? Yeah, they're going to be about two weeks apart. That way, hopefully, um, for those who want to get both done, I know some, in the past we've had a couple of people do both workshops. So we're going to do the Cold Box Zero to Hero, and then about two weeks later, I think we're going to do Hero to Superhero. Um, I'm, I think that's the second week and the fourth week, but I'm not sure. We're just, you know, checking everything and they're getting them all set up. So, uh, I don't want to give the wrong date out on here. So, uh, we should have the pages up very soon up on the order site and then you can, um, basically register, but we just want to make sure you guys are knowing they're coming so you can get planned, maybe talk to your boss and, you know, get permission. Um, so just don't forget they're coming soon. That's awesome. Cool. Um, other conferences, we've talked about JConf before. This is the month for JConf on September 30th. It's a uh, Java conference, free online, uh, 9 to 4 Central Time on September 30th. Yep. So a lot of good speakers there. Um, some of the ones that you know we're big fans of, like VinCat. Um, so there's quite a few out there. Uh, um, Brad recognized a lot more speakers than I did, but that's because he goes to DevNexus a lot. So uh, definitely check it out. As, as Eric said, it's free, so worth looking at for sure. Yeah. Worst case scenario, if you don't like it, you can just close that browser tab. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. But uh, it's nice to see, especially when you're looking at the the Lucy code too. I know we've been talking about uh, diving into Lucy. We'll talk more about it later. But getting some eyes into the Java code, it's, it's a good thing too. So. Okay, we also have CF Summit uh, 2020, and that's going to be in November 17th to 19th. It's going to be online, and you can sign up at cfsummit.adobeevents.com. And again, this one is free too. So no excuse right. not to go. That's right. And also, um, their speaker application website is still up. I don't know if that means they're actually taking submissions, but um, I <laughs> confession time, I just submitted my talks, and we'll see if they take them or not, but they went through at least. <laughs> yep. So uh, it might not be too late for you. Yep, so worth a shot if you want to speak. Uh, and again, it's a, it's a good conference. we got a lot of great content, a lot of great speakers, and I'm looking forward to, to catching up virtually with everybody. Uh, obviously not in person, which is a, a big downer, but current conditions, we can't do much about it, so... And then always they have uh, great workshops as well with their conference and they are doing the Adobe Confusion certification online. So you don't even have to wait for the conference. You can sign up online now uh, and we have information on that. Well, there's a blog post about it and there's also a registration link as well. So the certification is really successful. They've uh, had over a hundred people take it and it's 50 hours of online videos and they have a, you know, a nice, a nice level of videos and you're going to learn something for sure. And hopefully at the end of it, you can uh, get your certification. And when you're on the coldfusion.adobe.com site now, you even have specialists next to your name. So you get a little tag and everything. Mm, that's fancy. Yep. So it's a, it's a cool certification. Uh, and it's, you know, for a long time, they, they didn't have it. Uh, I think since like Cold Fusion 9 was the last time they offered it. So it's good to see it back and it's doing well. And um, they're, they've got it online now. So trying to work with the current environment. So. So yeah, so go find out some more and uh, maybe register for that one too. Okay, um, see if camp, we're probably gonna be not having one this year. We haven't heard anything about it and with the current situation, it's understandable. So uh, 
We do have another conference that might be going on, though. The uh, Auto Solutions last year did the first ever LATAM um, conference in LATAM America. And so we're looking at doing an online version. So uh, for those Spanish-speaking, uh, you may enjoy a, a one day of content or even two days of content. We're still finalizing details and dates and times. But in December, uh, we're looking to possibly have an online conference there. So that'll be pretty cool. That's really cool. And that reminds me, if I can steal some time, we've been working on the product side of CFCast lately, uh, adding in internationalization. So right now on the site, you can view it in both English and Spanish, but we're also doing work on the back end to have videos hosted in multiple languages. And it's been a really fun experience, and we hope that that can, you know, further the works of Into the Box with Ham. We can put on some video courses for people that speak Spanish and who knows, expand the more languages in the future as well. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great power in internationalization, but you know, being in the States, we don't usually do too much around that. So it's a shame. Yeah. All our European uh, developers always asking us questions about it. I'm like, yeah, I know a little bit, but um, yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, and I know the CB, is it the CBI18N module? Mm-hmm. And then obviously we're doing it with uh, inertia in the front end and everything too. So that's probably why you recommended the the internationalization uh, ally for VS Code last week. Yeah, that was a personal find that changed our lives. So it's been really nice. And yeah, we're using inertia and and Vue um, IETN. So. Very cool. I see Will just updated CBI 18 in today. Yep. And he's one of our big users. Uh, like I said, the European customers are doing a lot with it because they have to. And uh, there are a lot of contributors helping making it better too. So thank you, everybody. Okay, let's get into our blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. So this we actually got quite a few. This first one's pretty fun. Yeah. So um, uh, regular listeners of the show are going to remember that uh, Brad was on here complaining about some query query performance and kind of his workarounds and what was happening. Um, well, some of the good news was we there was a client who sponsored his work into improving Lucy's query query support. And he has a pull request up with some uh, charts and graphs about time. And Gavin, it's pretty astounding. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I just pull I up this for everybody. One I, yeah, the, I think the biggest change I saw was wh- something where Lucy... Um, before this pull request took 12 seconds to do a query and after it took 1.4 seconds. Yeah, there's some, <laughs> some pretty big numbers here. Yeah, this one here. So the select distinct department from employees, yeah, almost 12 seconds before, now 1.3 seconds. And, and that's synchronous. You can get even faster using async uh, as well. So it's pretty impressive. Uh, you can, we'll put a link to his tweet, which also has the ticket and the, uh, performance review. Um, basically, like he said, he retooled it to make it so it does all of these query, common query operations straight in Java. Um, there's not dumping out to hypersonic SQL as much. So some pretty awesome stuff here. Um, I put the tweet in and I'll also put the link to the ticket because that has more information as well. But um, we're very grateful that Brad could do that and grateful for uh, awesome clients who sponsor works to improve the engine for all of us. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting seeing the numbers too. Like, you know, Adobe was pretty fast on certain things. Yeah. 
And then even after Brad, you know, cleaned them up, it's still faster. But in other times, uh, the asynchronous one is slower than the synchronous one for, for that. So <laughs> Async can be funny that way. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. And uh, we'll definitely share that with you guys. And, uh, but it was just good to see, like I said, Brad dove into the code and got playing around and, you know, gets obsessed a little bit. And, um, yeah, hopefully everybody can win now. So hopefully the pull request gets merged soon and we'll be using it and testing it out ourselves. Next up, we actually have something from Tony Junkies. So he was working with Adobe's PDF tools, the Java SDK, and Alicia actually put him onto this. Um, and so it's kind of a, a fun one to play with here. So he's got a repo out there with some examples and everything. But let me just share my screen for those watching. And so, yeah, so he's basically, um, you know, built it into, into CFML and sort of started using them for different things. And, uh, he mentions in this future ever tweets that he doesn't know about pricing or anything else. So, you know, but it was fun to get up and playing with it. And so if you guys are looking for some, you know, PDF tools for our SDK, there's some good opportunity to, to play with this here. So thanks for sharing that, Tony. We appreciate it. Okay, so next up we have uh, Ben Adele. He's been busy. Long weekend means more blog posts for Ben. <laughs> and so uh, this one follows up from our, our conversation last week. Uh, he wrote a, a blog post about the the no coalescing operator and you know the safe navigation. And so Brad started telling him, "Was like, why don't you just use the Elvis?" And so this sort of follows up from that. And so uh, he was kind of surprised that Brad was right. I don't know why Brad is right quite a lot, but <laughs> he, so he walked through the whole uh, process and, you know, looked at doing, you know, using the safe navigator, something like this, and then, um, you know, basically replacing it with the null coalescing, uh, the Alphas operator essentially. And for most times this works pretty good and saves you some, some headaches and hassle because the way nulls work in cold fusion. But, uh, he did mention if you're doing something where, you're looking for functions or there's functions in your variable uh, definition, then it doesn't work the same. So you still have to use the safe navigation for that. And so as usual, nice and thorough, uh, but yeah, a good set of code there and interesting to walk through. But so Brad was right, but with exceptions. <laughs> okay. Hey. Uh, next, we have a, a video from Matt Clemente. He's doing more of his live streaming. And this time he was building a website uptime monitor with Pipedream. Yeah, so he links to the live coding session here, uh, which he basically tries to build that uptime monitor. And then um, basically gets most of it done, but he sort of logged it out nicely too. So he goes through the whole process, talks about Pipedream a little more, and sort of like the uptime monitor workflow and, you know, it's, I like I like this. This is actually something we talked about uh, on a project I was doing because you know we've used all these uptime monitors, but we kind of nice to throw in more cold fusion stats into some of these things too. And so it's kind of he walks through it. So it's pretty neat. Um, yeah, I really like seeing all these these videos that he's been putting out. He's been pretty busy lately too, I'm sure, but uh, he's starting to get back on the live video, so it's good to see that. Okay. Next one we have is another Ben post. This one was interesting about temporary upload files are duplicated and persisted when a request uses CF thread. 
yeah. C5. Uh, 5.3.6 was the version he tested here. Yeah, and the interesting thing was for every thread, it duplicates that content. So if you upload a one meg file and then you thread off for different things, it'll actually keep multiple copies of it. And so he was talking about how, yeah, he had a 160 gigabytes of storage disappear very quickly. Uh, Envision app obviously is dealing with images and design, so they use a lot of images and yeah. So he has a nice video that goes with this too, but yeah, kind of interesting and kind of scary how, how that would happen too. I mean, it, I guess it makes sense that you got to have, you know, a copy of the environment for each thread just so it's, you know, thread safe, but the cleanup disappeared. So maybe that's Do we know if there was a, a ticket opened up from this? Cause I know the end of Ben's post was kind of a, okay, so I guess I'll clean, I'll clean up old upload files to take care of this, but really like, we don't want this happening in Lucy. So yeah, I, I think Zach's reached out and said here, post a, you know, create an issue or something. So I don't know if there was actually an issue created or not. Oh, there it is. There we go. Okay, cool. So, yep. But uh, real thorough as usual, but really interesting. And yeah, I'm sure a lot of other people are probably didn't even know this was happening and their servers are filling up and they don't know why. So which is back to monitoring a great reason to have monitoring on your disk space too. Yeah. And that's, that's actually, <laughs> I've run into that before. Like, you know, digital ocean's great and I have block storage and everything else, but there's no easy to way to like look on through the control panel and see how much space I'm actually using. So I've got a, you know, a 20 gig block. I don't know how much I'm using unless I go into the machine and basically go in and figure out the file storage that way. So it's kind of weird. So wish it was better, but anyway, Back to the back to the news here. So Ben Adel was also uh, working on some CFZIP stuff. So he's been doing some zip stuff for a while, actually. But this one goes back into performance. I'm trying to see if trying to actually skip over files that don't need to be zipped, if that will actually you know increase the speed or not. So use, using store or deflate compression methods, um, you know, basically have different different pros and cons. And so he was looking at the speed. Uh, I think he has a little graph somewhere down here. Oh, here's some results. So basically, if you don't compress them, um, in his example, uh, basically it took about 400 milliseconds, uh, but the file was obviously bigger. If you do use default to compression, it basically tries to compress everything and even images, um, you know, it would basically only be able to compress them a little bit, it took a little longer. And then if you had the mixed compression, which tried to figure out what were actually deflated or what, sorry, what could be, you know, uh, zipped up, compressed more and which ones couldn't be. And it took a little bit of time off, but it's hard to know, you know, if it was really beneficial uh, in this sort of small test. So I'm probably going to be late to the party on this, but what is this timer tag he's using and why have I not known about this? Like he has a, a, he's using the Lucy tag and script, it looks like, but there's this timer, a label, and a type. And that's what's creating this little outline thing for him with milliseconds. Like I, I have done a lot of dumb, repetitive work to do the exact same thing. And this makes me really happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. I mean, yeah, I've used, done the basic spitting out, you know, milliseconds here and there, but, huh. I'm not sure either, to be honest. Brad, CF I'm sure, knows. But yeah, CF Timer. CF Timer. This is going to change my life, Gavin. That's <laughs> all I have to say. I got to see if it's in all of the engines, but I don't, I mean, even just one is great. 
So thank you, Ben. That's not what you're trying to do, but thank you. Yeah, I even see it in the Adobe support. Yeah. Charlie says it's been around for a long, long time. Unfortunately, I have not. I came late. CF7. I've never seen wow. this. So this makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of people doing uh, all sorts of stuff. And maybe, is there, I wonder if there's a problem with it. Is it not, you know, consistent or something? Because I know a lot of people don't use it. And yeah, if it's been around that long, you'd think they would know. Hmm. Well, there we go. We all learned something today. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the next up, we have the tweet from Julian Hallowell about the spreadsheet update. So we've talked about that a little bit earlier than used. So I guess we're back to Ben again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this one's actually pretty interesting because um, so talking about proxying AWS S3 pre-signed URL uploads using Netlify functions. And the main reason is because a lot of people actually block Amazon S3, but wouldn't that like break the internet if somebody did that? <laughs> you mean so many things in the world uh, run through Amazon. You'd think if, if your corporate network blocked Amazon, you'd probably not have an internet to look at. Yeah. Again, like I think you get by it because most people are proxying Amazon. Um, and so they, they're, they're blocking direct access. So you can't like download some sort of file that they don't want you to have. And they can whitelist the domains they do want. Yeah, I guess so. It's just kind of funny because, yeah, so, yeah. Much, <laughs> so much runs off Amazon, right? But Yeah. And so this was interesting. Uh, it's a good one to have it when Brad's not on here because he's using Node uh, with Netlify. But uh, it's kind of neat. Um, basically, just a little, essentially a microservice, right? Just a little tool that takes a takes a URL. Uh, basically, you add a URL into the, into the endpoint and give that to the browser and basically it goes through the little node module and uh, redirects and the cool thing is it uh, it handles all the the headers and everything so when you get the response back uh, we'll just skip over the node code here but you know when you're you know upload, uh, uploading a, a image to the s3 it comes back the server is netlify but you see all the amazon headers and everything comes back good too so uh, pretty neat and it's it's a pretty simple little script i mean there's obviously a lot of uh logging and everything in here but it's not too difficult and yeah if you're having the same problem you could use this file and and just basically get around your the you know, s3 proxy problem and it's just using a lambda function on netlify which is pretty neat yeah all right next up we have a blog post from will de brune about uh cv validation and creating a better unique validator uh, so the unique validator is the idea that you have a database record that you want to make sure it doesn't exist. Um, that's your validation, you know, true or false. And in like the 1.0 days of, <coughs> of CB validation, you would do that using the CBORM library. That was really the only way that we gave. Here in this 2.0 days, we include one that does a SQL check for you. Um, but as uh, Will points out, it's pretty simple. Um, there's definitely cases that it doesn't handle, and he shows um, how to extend that by writing his own validator. And honestly, that's my favorite part of this, because writing your own custom validator for CV validation is not that difficult, and it can clean up so much of your code, because you can stick it into a component and reuse that validation rule across different handlers. Yeah, and somewhere in here he says he uses it about 38 different places in his code or so, no, 28 times yeah. so think about that it's a lot of repetitive code as you mentioned yeah. 
I do uh, agree with him. The one that's currently in CV validation is a bit uh, simple. In fact, in like CFCAS, we have our own that does a bit more work. So, uh, Will, let's see a pull request. Let's get this in for everybody else too. Yeah, that'd be really good. Um, but yeah, we've done quite a few CB validations and I've used them for some clients and it's pretty cool to do. Uh, it's not that hard, like you said. And yeah, I mean, they're, they have these, you know, basically an interface you follow. So this is sort of the same setup as a validation result, a target, a field, a target value and a validation data. But I mean, it's, yeah, you can look at something else and just change it up, make your own custom error messages and away you go. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I'm sure like we'll take the pattern of, of Will's here and and uh, augmenting the the query execute call, but uh, I've had a lot of fun in CFCAS making it so I could do some more QB stuff here and uh, extend that at runtime. That's been really fun. So I don't think we want to require QB for CB validation, but if you are using both of them, you can do a lot of fun things. Yep, and Will says your app plans to update CB validation validation Ooh. as well so thank you and we actually have another post from him a little bit later about cb validation too but next up we have one from pete freitag and this one's probably bitten a lot of people who are using command box with lucy lately and uh and you'll see why because you get this error message when you start up a new server that says no password set yet and so it's a security update and we we understand it um and it tells you to basically use a password.txt file and put it in your lucy server but that's not the best way to do it with command box. And, uh, and so he shows you how to do that. And so we're using cfconfig. So just like Grant was showing in the cfcast videos, this is, you know, a nice simple way to, to get a password set here. And so install command box cfconfig and then use cfconfig set admin password equals whatever password you want. And then that'll set that up. And when command box fires up in your server, it reads your cfconfig file pulls in all the variables, sets them all inside of Lucy, and away you go. So it makes it much easier than dealing with a password.txt file. Awesome. And of course, it's not just for passwords. You can use cfconfig for a lot of things, data sources and caching and, and everything else. So. But the password is the gateway drug. That's how we hook you. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I know. I had, um, I had a site that wasn't using a command box, and I was like, Oh my gosh, how did I do the password text thing? <laughs> yeah. It's so painful. <laughs> I think I put CFConfig on there anyway just to just to get it updated. Okay. Which is a nice reminder that CFconfig is not like cold box specific and you don't even need command box like running your server in production. Like it's just it needs to know where your server home directory is and then it can take care of stuff. So you can use it in any of your environments. Yep. Very cool. Okay. So next up, we have a little uh, tidbit of information from <laughs> Autist Developers, uh, a little shop we have. And so we now have a little Ninja developer collection. So if you're looking for some swag, uh, you guys can get your little Ninja developer on a coffee mug or a hat or whatever you want. So just a little extra flair. I had not seen this, and my, my two boys are obsessed with ninjas and I feel like I need to figure out how to get these for them. They will go crazy. Yeah. Love. And I can smile because it's like, yeah, that's dad's work t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're pretty cool. So, you know, we just have a little fun with it and put out a few things. And again, that's another way you can help, you know, support artists as well. So, and all of our open source products and 
services. Okay, so next up we have the another one by Will. So we're talking about CB validation, validating a model or the request collection. And I admit he calls me out here, but wait, he's actually not just slamming me, honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he was he basically said he was uh, he discovered he could overwrite existing records when he tries to insert new ones which sounds like a huge security vulnerability because he was using code from my IB, uh, ITB presentation but he says before blaming Gavin let me confess I changed the code a little so yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah this is something we often get you know questions about like should we you know validate our request collection or the incoming data or should we just wait till we put it in the model and then you know validate that and uh, some of the code is that in the presentation this is based off some work that me and eric have done with clients and also now um you know into the box well i guess it's a call box zero to hero workshop um but we're using things like validate or fail and some some cool little features there and basically what we do is we actually validate that request context coming in and then when we populate our model we use that validated result to populate our model and that way we're basically validating it both ways and so that's kind of weird some people don't like that but that way you make sure that you're not putting things into your model that shouldn't be there and one of the things when you use the populate method uh, if you're not checking for what fields you actually want to take out of the rc scope they could put something like a password in there or something that you weren't expecting but if you're populating from the request scope you know it could just throw it straight into your model now if you save that model uh, you got a new password you weren't expecting so um, just things like that so that's why we usually like to validate in both places but um, he walks through here and has a really good explanation you know talk about all the different pieces um, and yeah it's it's definitely a good article definitely want to recommend reading that and just don't blame me for everything okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the for me the hero of this post is that validate or fail method on the ncp validation and again the idea is not only will so the normal validate method will return true or false um well i think it will return an object that you can check if it passed or not along with errors um, which is helpful. The validator fail, instead of returning an object, just throws an exception if there is a problem, and you can catch that you know, in an, an on-error handler. You can uh, do a try-catch around it, anything that you need. Um, but then what's returned is a struct with just the keys that you specified in validation. So it's a way of throwing away anything that came in to the request scope that you didn't want. And it has been very useful. Again, lets us save time by saying, yes, I trust this data now. Throw it into a model and save it to the database instead of having to, you know, do piece by piece. So. Yep. And having the, the error bubble up will definitely save you a lot of repetitive code too. So. Yes, that's very true. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks for writing this up, uh, Will. I feel, I'll be honest, I feel a little validated here because I... <laughs> When I started here at Ordis, I was very much on the train of validating in the handlers the RC scope. And, uh, you know, we, we've learned together that there's times that that's great, and then there's times that we still want the model validation, and that's great too. So, Well, when I first started at Ordis, you could only call the validate options inside of the model. Like That's true. You know, you couldn't actually, it was a kind of a pain to get to the validation inside of the RC scope. There were certain things you couldn't couldn't do, and so yeah. So we definitely evolved over time, you know. We definitely have that uh, 
that ways. So, but yeah. But as Will says in the chat, he never validated the ask heap, only his models, but uh, this is way better. And yeah, and like I said, we never trust the client. We never trust what they're giving us. So, you know, this just stops it getting in there. And yeah, again, you can never be too careful. And, you know, if you make sure your code is, you know, elegant, you're not spending a page every time you're trying to validate something, then it makes life easier, right? It's not that hard to do that extra one line and that can just double check. Yeah. So cool, cool. Well, with that, let's move on to find a job. So this week we have a couple of new jobs posted on the getcfmiljobs.com website. Um, so we have a Cold Fusion and SQL developer in Hyberdad, Telangana in India. It was posted September 5th. So they're looking for a full-time job there. And then we have a full-time Cold Fusion developer remote work in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And that was posted on September 4th. So if you guys are looking for a job and those sound like a good one for you, get to cfmljobs.com and you can check those out. And as well as 18 other listings from um, dating back to basically July 1st. So they get about 18 positions from 13 companies across nine locations in five countries. So pretty good. And also, Audis is hiring. We're looking for a senior Cold Fusion developer as well. So That's right. So this, this position, uh, the... Biggest restrictions are we need U.S. time zone availability, and need, you need to be either a U.S. citizen or resident or have a work visa. Um, other than that, uh, you can see the what we expect on the page. Um, I I I like where we landed with the job listing. You know, you're going to be doing a lot of helping clients come into modern CFML, so we'd love to have you apply and come join our team. Yep. And so we got that position up here. It's at autosolutions.com slash about-us slash careers. Uh, you can find out more about it and then apply today. And it's always fun working with a, a bunch of good developers. And we treat you pretty well here at Autos. That's why we're still here. So be good to have somebody else join the team. So if you're interested, please apply. Okay. Cool. Well, next up, we have a... Forgebox module of the week, and this one actually came up from an internal discussion we had. <laughs> so yeah, and and I guess we'll we'll reference the I'm, I'm looking for the name of it. The uh, library that made us think of it was Sticker from Presides CMS. Yeah. Um, and Sticker and the module we're going to talk about, uh, the Coldbox Asset Bag, kind of solved the same problems, which is managing JavaScript and CSS assets for a request. Um, so if you're like us and you have a, a traditional uh, multi-server page app where each request is goes to the server, comes back with new data, you will have you might have different JavaScript that needs to be delivered depending on the page. You know, you're only sending down the Stripe library on on the payment page, and you're only sending down data tables on the page with that on it, things like that. And both of these libraries uh, let you in, anywhere in your code add something to the asset bag. So for the Coldbox asset bag, it's in the PRC scope. And anywhere in your handler, you can say, I need this, uh, this file to be added. Um, additionally, there's some conventions that the Coldbox asset bag has looking at the current request, uh, the view that, uh, sorry, the event and module. And it will look to see if there's a file. And if it exists, it will add it, which is pretty cool. I didn't even know about and that. Then, That's cool. I'm pretty sure I 
now now you're making me wonder if I'm lying. Pretty sure that's true. If not, I guess I just got myself in the pull request. Um, <laughs> and then you can easily render all of the head and the foot uh, footer bags in your layouts with just a single line. Yep. Yeah, and what I like about this too is we can you know sort of prioritize them a little bit too because. You know, obviously, if you're adding a library, the library needs to be above the other code, and so you can you can use that as well. So it's it's pretty well built. Um, we use it on quite a few projects, and yeah, it just saves a few problems. And actually, well, it really came in handy for me was when you have a view tag that's sort of encompassing a lot of uh, a lot of code, and before you could just sort of spit stuff out. But view doesn't like it when you shove JavaScript out in the middle of its, its you know of its big old tag. So um, yeah, so this way you can basically put it all in the asset bag and at the bottom of the, the layout, you can spit it all out. So it's pretty handy. Um, so real time follow up. I did misspeak about the automatic thing. And now I'm remembering that was in the project that I worked on. So John Clausen, when you listen to this, you should bring that over into the cold box asset bag. <laughs> yeah. And so on Forgebox, you can look through here, you can see how to add an asset. We got all the, you know, add JavaScript to head. Add, add inline JavaScript to head, et cetera. So we have all the functions here documented on the on the site and pretty simple. Um, but yeah, we are, offer quite a few different functions just to make it easy for you. So um, obviously it works JavaScript and CSS and then, yeah. And then rendering it out is pretty easy too. So you can just say render head or render footer. Um, pretty nice little, little module here. Again, not too hard to write yourself, but why do it when we've got a module that works pretty well? Okay, so next up we have a VS Code hint, tip, and trick of the week. So I have a story about this one. Um, I was just reading through Twitter, which is usually where I find the new VS Code tips that I like to share. And somebody else had tweeted out like this problem. Yeah, I'm using multiple cursors in, in VS Code, but then I have to click on all the individual ones where it was the second word and fix the, the typing. Like, this is super frustrating. And within like seconds, somebody had replied with this extension. Um, it's got a <laughs> just a very descriptive name, multiple cursor case preserve. And yeah, the idea is whatever case the word is in that you've selected with a multiple cursor, it will keep on each of the different lines. So if one line, it's all lowercase, it'll keep that. If one, it's camel case, and this is the capitalized portion, it'll keep that. Um, all of those title case, all caps, it, it's great. So it definitely saved me a lot of tedious clicking around and fixing silly capitalization errors. Yeah, I've run into that too. So that's pretty neat. I was pretty impressed by this. And there are a couple of known issues, but that's basically a, you know, an issue with the actual, uh, another issue that he has to sort of have somebody else solve. But uh, also the undo redo works one change at a time, just so you know. But uh, but yeah, but it looks pretty dang cool. Again, another simple little little thing, but you know, it can save you hours and hours of frustration and headaches. Gonna have to start. We had a uh, phrase at one of my previous jobs uh, with the data tables library uh, to never doubt data tables. The <laughs> idea was every time we needed to do something, and we're like, "Can we make this work?" Like you could make it work, and usually there was somebody that made a plugin. I feel like we have to do that with VS Code nowadays. It's like I didn't even have to look hard into this, and 
you know, 50% chance it's a built-in setting and the other 50 is somebody's already made an extension for it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a beauty of VS Code with all the support it has in the community and it's only getting bigger and bigger. It's kind of crazy. And that, speaking of that too, I mean, I know we talked about the setting sync module a while back and that's actually built in now. So the new version I think is finally dropped for real people, not insiders only. So you should have a, a settings option to be able to do your setting sync now built into the VS Code. So you don't need that module, don't need that extension if you had it already. Yeah, so if you um, open up your settings, I'm trying to remember there is, uh, where they put that? There's a, a sync like label uh, right under the search bar in the top right that will that you can sign in with either Microsoft or a GitHub account and sync your settings that way. Very cool. Okay, well, it's that time of the week now where we thank our Patreon supporters because without them, we wouldn't be able to make this podcast and uh, bring all of this, hopefully, good news and useful news for you. So, Eric, I think it's your turn. So yeah, I'll let you run over this. Thank you to Ben Nadal, Brett DeLine, Carl Van Stetten, Charlie Earhart, Dal Lee, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Bellinger, Didier Lesnicki, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jan Janik, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamary, Kai Kennig, Laxma Teacherhadi, Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Odin, Stephen Klotz, Synaptrix, and Yogesh Mathur. Thank you for sponsoring Order Solutions and this podcast. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Without you guys, uh, we wouldn't be able to do this. Uh, you know, everyone's got a budget, and even open source of us, we got to stick into our budget. So we're definitely making this better. And if you guys are interested, patreon.com slash order solutions, you can find out how you can support us as well. So thank you all. And it's really good to see some of the supporters in the, the live chat in here too. I see Mingo sending us big hearts. So we thank you too. So thanks, everybody. I uh, hope everyone enjoys their short week after the Labor Day holiday, if you're lucky enough to have it off. And uh, we'll see you all next week. See you guys. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.